0: serve a good God amen Amen. so I'll stand to our feet if you would open your Bibles to the book of Romans we are in chapter 10 Romans chapter 10 we will read beginning in verse 1 when you got it say "So." so it says brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law the man who does those things shall live by them But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your hearts who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes under righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made under salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you. For being a great, great God and Savior. Lord, this morning we humble our hearts before you and we pray that you would open our ears, Lord, that we would be able to hear what you are saying to your church. And God, that we would respond in faith to the truth that you call us to today. May you be glorified in our time together and may you remove every distraction from our minds and our hearts, Lord God. May we stay fixed on you today. And we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seeing the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along um, in the introduction as well as take some notes. We want to be sure that you can do that. That's important for us and I would say that uh, as always you are a disciple and therefore as a disciple you should be making disciples and one of the things that I think is so very important is that you share what you are learning with someone else and I think Romans chapter 10 is a great place to start because there is some really good stuff. For saved and unsaved people alike, because we're talking about um, what God has done and how it is that he saves us. And so, um, as you know, we live in an impassioned culture, do we not? Everybody's passionate about something, right? In our days, you turn on the news and you see passion, right? You um, go on to your news feeds, you know, in places like Facebook, um, you see passion. You go on Instagram, you see passion. We live in a passion culture, right? Everybody's passionate about something. Everybody's got a message. Everybody's got a reason why they believe what they believe. And the fact of the matter is, is that everybody's justified in those feelings as well. And the truth is that some people um, in those passions, what they do, is they will say that they are passionate in the name of God. They're passionate in the name of the Lord, and they will give you scripture that they will quote, right? If you're going ahead, I mean, you can take we'll take, we'll take a, really, a really difficult issue for us. Um, you know, you take something like immigration, right? And you take that, and you have some people that are real passionate on this side about it, and you have some people that are real passionate on this side about it, and guess what? Both of them will throw scripture in your face as to why they're passionate about it. And they'll say they're passionate about it because God says this, and we believe this, and then, you know, so who's right? That's the question. Who's right? But here, when we look at the book of Romans where we're at, we see the same thing. The Apostle Paul, he is speaking about the passion that Israel has. He's speaking about their zeal and their passion. And what I want to talk about today is blinding zeal blinding zeal. You can be so passionate about something that you're literally blinded by it. And in some cases, that's good, right? Like when you're surely passionate about Christ and what scriptures say, that's good to be passionate for him. And it's good for you not to let anything get in your way and that you're going to focus in on Christ. That's 100% great. That is good. And making sure that we're following Jesus the way that he calls us to. But when our passions are split and our passions are off center, our passions are not biblically rooted, then we can't have a problem because we can be passionate about something and do more harm than good. And so this morning, by recap, if you look at your outline there, just to bring us up to speed, because Israel, as we'll see here, we're dealing with the present dealing that Paul is dealing with Israel. What we learned in in Romans 9 was that we looked at God's past and historical dealing with Israel and their past riches, all the blessings that Israel had. We saw all of that. We saw that God chose certain individuals to be carriers of the Messianic seed and promised redemption. We also learned that the fact that not all naturally born Israelites are chosen for the same purpose and that most of Israel had stumbled over Jesus rather than trusting in him for righteousness. Now we now now, now we're gonna turn and we're gonna look at God's present dealing with Israel and their rejection of the Messiah, which is God's provision for salvation. And so that's what we're gonna see in chapter ten. And actually, in verse thirty of chapter nine, if you just look back there really quickly, we're just gonna read from there and it'll kind of bring us into the context of where we're at. So Paul says in verse thirty of chapter nine, he says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. It's important that you keep in mind, Paul is speaking and and as he's talking, he is is, um, drawing out certain points. And one of them is this righteousness of faith and this righteousness by the law. And he says in verse 31, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness. So we have righteousness by faith and then we have righteousness of the law has not obtained to the law of righteousness. And he asked the question why? And it is because they did not seek it by faith but as it is written, by, but, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And then he goes on, he quotes Isaiah. He says, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And so what Paul does, is he brings us, he's bringing us up to speed. He's helping us to see that something has transitioned, something has happened. And, and, the, and, and it, it is not anything new because he's quoting more Old Testament scriptures throughout these 9, 10, and 11 than he does anywhere else in the book of Romans. And he does that for what? So that way he can help us to understand God's dealing with his people. Israel then and now dealing with all of humanity, and this was always God's plan. But we see here that, that, that position that he has. I want you to think about this, though. Our zeal for God must be rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our zeal for God must be rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Israel's issue up until this point, and many of the issues with many of people in our culture today, is that their zeal for God is not rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ. They have a zeal for God that is based on some knowledge of maybe a scripture, or maybe a thing that people want to be passionate about. But it is not rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Israel's greatest issue was that, is that their, revel- their zeal for God was not rooted in the revelation of Christ. And so some years ago, somebody, I don't know who it was, but they came up with this, um, this little acronym, you know, um, WWJD, right? How many of y'all remember when that came? I raise your hand. I want to date all of you that raise your hand, right? So, so some of you are a little bit older, right? And so you recall that, right? What would Jesus do? That was the question, right? It's a good question. It's an important question. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus did not face every single thing that we face. Are you here? He didn't go through every single thing we go through, different time, different age. But that does not mean that we cannot find the wisdom that we need to deal with every single thing we go through by looking at the example of Jesus. And so we have to be rooted, our zeal for God must be rooted in who Jesus is, how Jesus interacted with people, the types of things that Jesus said, the types of things that Jesus communicated, that is where our zeal for God must be rooted. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this, say, unfounded zeal can and will lead away from faith. Unfounded zeal can and will lead away from faith. Now again the apostle Paul says something that's important Look at verse 1 of chapter 10 We looked at the stumbling stone in chapter 9 verse 33 Jesus is that stumbling stone He is that rock of offense And he's the one that they were stumbling over He was the one that they were tripping over He was the one that they couldn't get past him They couldn't understand this Messiah that they were talking about They couldn't get with Jesus They crucified him Not because Jesus said that he was the Messiah But because Jesus made himself equal with God He said something that was was blasphemous in their days And Jesus was declaring himself to be the Son of God Capital S, not just a Son of God But the Son of God, God the Son And so he's that stumbling stone And so the Jewish people up until this time They had this zeal for God is what Paul says Look at verse 1 He says, brethren, my heart's desire And prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now, I want to pause before we jump into the zeal that Israel has. I want you to see the zeal and the passion that Paul has for Israel. Because I want you to notice that in chapter 9, right, verse 1, remember over there and we looked back there, Paul was talking about, I could wish that I would be a curse for them so that they could be saved. Paul was passionate about his countrymen. He was passionate about those who did not know God. He wanted them to know God. He wanted them to have a relationship with God. And so it begs the question for us, and now this is by way of application, because remember I told you Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, these, these are very technical portions of Scripture. Scripture. and so i want to make sure that i don't get away from the context but i what i don't want to do either is i don't want to leave us without some sort of application as we look at this context and what we have here is paul saying that his heart's desire and his prayer for israel is that they would be saved so here's my question for you are you passionately praying for the lost are you passionately praying for lost people Now think about that because I know right now, if you just think for a moment, some lost people are popping up in your head, right? Just think about that, people you work with, people that may be your neighbors, people that you may work out with, people that are around you. Now let me ask you something, let's be honest, how many times have you mentioned them in prayer before God that God would save them? How many times have you come before the Lord and been like God? Their eternity is dependent upon you doing something in their lives. It is dependent upon them making a decision for you or against you. Does that not burden you? I mean, considering the fact that hell is like once you get there, there is no way out. Are you here? Once you cross the line of this life into the next, you are either walking into the glory of God or you are going to walk into the worst possible destiny for all of eternity, a separation from God's goodness, a separation from God's love. Listen to me now. These are the people who you know who don't know Jesus. If they died right now, they would be separated from God for all of eternity. Does that bother you? Does that even move you to pray? Does it move you to consider? Pastor Aldo and I, we were in the office a moment ago with my daughter. And my daughter this year, she's going to be 18 years old. Hallelujah. She's going to be a senior this year. And Pastor Aldo, he got a little bit emotional. In my office because he remembers a picture of him holding my daughter when she was you know a couple of days old or something like that so she's a baby baby and so he's moved to emotion because of something like that let me tell you something we should be moved to even greater emotion when we think about somebody who is being separated from God's love for all of eternity it should move us the same way that it moved the Apostle Paul you know why Paul ended up in prison you wanna know why because it was passion for lost people, specifically for Jewish people. Hello. He wasn't sent to the Jewish people. That, that, that isn't who God sent him to. God sent him to the Gentiles. He is the apostle of the Gentiles. He did not have to go back to go and preach to his Israelite brothers. But you know what he did from the beginning? He was willing to die to let them know about this Christ. Because he was one who was what? Walking around like he says in verse 2. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal, a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, that's funny to me when I read that. Because I think about this. Do you not think that the children of Israel had some knowledge? You think? I mean, they memorized the Torah. I think that's some knowledge. I'm just saying. Like, Let's do something real quick. How many of you have at least memorized one verse in the Bible? Raise your hand. Come on. One verse. One verse. Come on, every hand should go up, one verse. You know Jesus wept. Come on now. It's a verse. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. If you didn't know you memorized one, you do. You got it, right? Right? So so how many of you have memorized Now, Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. How many of you would say that you have memorized 10 scriptures in the Bible, 10 verses? Come on, we got we got a few. It's okay. It's okay. You got a lot of work to do, glory to God. How many of you would say you probably memorized? Y'all are going through your head like this. How many of you have memorized like 20 verses in the Bible? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, come on now. Listen, this is not about pride, right? There, there's, no, you know, there's no scripture that says, Thou shalt just memorize in private and never tell anyone that you know verses. That's not what it says. So listen to me. The reason why I bring that up is because there's a lot more than 20 verses between Genesis to Deuteronomy. Are you here? <laughs> so when you say that they have a zeal for God... But not based upon knowledge, he is not talking about just knowledge of what the text says. He is talking about a knowledge of the heart of the text. Because apparently they missed something. He goes on to say what? For they, now listen to this one, being ignorant of God's righteousness. Pause for a moment. If anybody would have known God's righteousness, would it not have been the Jewish people? I mean, they had the Torah, did they not? They had the Ten Commandments. They had all of the social laws that were there. They understood God was holy. I mean, they have memory and recollection in their history of a God who was shaking mountains with the smoke and just the glory of God that was causing them to tremble. I mean, these are people who had some knowledge of God and should have understood God's righteousness, yet Paul says they were ignorant of God's righteousness. Not only ignorant of God's righteousness, they were trying to do what? They were trying to, or seeking to establish their own righteousness. Like they didn't need God for righteousness and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And so God, his, his chosen people were zealous for him, yet they were ignorant and they missed the Messiah who was God's righteousness. All of this time, God has pointing them to, to that righteousness. See, here's the, here's the thing. We've talked about this. Israel was not looking for an individual savior. They weren't looking for a savior to save them individually. They were looking for a national savior. they were looking for a national savior to come in and do what? they were waiting for that king. They were waiting for that warlord, so to speak, that was going to rise up as the king of Israel and was going to establish them in the former glory, bring them back to the land of promise. And then that was the Messiah they're waiting for. They're still waiting on that Messiah. You have conversations with people who are practicing Jews. They're waiting on that Messiah. Can I tell you something? That Messiah is coming. Not the way they think, though. Hello. That Messiah is returning in the same and, and that Messiah that's coming back Is the one that was already here The one who died the one. See they missed the Messiah That was prophesied in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 When you look there That's, the, that, that's one of the servant songs In the Old Testament And they missed that suffering servant That one that was like a lamb That was led to the slaughter Who opened not his mouth The one who bore our transgression the, you know, the scripture that we read every Sunday During communion They missed that there but when you read that, those scriptures, you know what you do? You're like, wow, this sounds like the New Testament. You know why? Because you see those words fulfilled in Christ. And yet they missed that Messiah because they didn't want a suffering servant. They wanted a triumphant king. They're waiting for him to come. And Jesus comes in on the scene, totally different to establish his kingdom the way that he wants. The problem was Israel did not see themselves as sinners in need of a savior. They saw them as the chosen people who were waiting for the Messiah to come and establish a different rule and bring them back to power. That wasn't what God was trying to do. And what does God remind them? He shows them, look, somehow they thought, they thought we can be righteous all by ourselves. We don't need this Jesus. I mean, think about some of the stuff that Jesus said to them. Jesus told them, your daddy is the devil. Now, look, you could tell that heathen over there, your daddy's the devil, but not me. My daddy's Abraham. He's like, no, no, no. If your daddy was Abraham, you would believe in me. Apparently, there's an issue here. They thought they were righteous. They thought they were righteous alone. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he blows it up on him. like, no, 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 you guys need me. They don't want to hear that. They rejected his salvation, his plan of salvation. Verse 4 says what? It says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so what is Paul doing? He is letting us know that you no longer have to depend on your or, or keeping the law to be declared righteous because that will never happen anyway. But now Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for who? For everyone who believes, not just Jews, everyone. Anyone who believes, when you put your faith in Jesus, you can trust what? You can trust that He declares you righteous. The Apostles' message has been clear throughout the book of Romans. It's what? Is that Christ is our substitute, Christ is God's provision for our salvation. When we trust in Jesus, we can rest in Him. Are you here? When we trust in Christ for salvation, we can rest in him for our salvation. We can rest in him for his righteousness. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, faith in Christ is the foundation for righteousness faith in Christ is the foundation for righteousness. Look at verse 5. It says here, it says, for Moses wrote about the righteousness, which is of the law. Remember I talked about earlier, the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith. Here it goes again, juxtaposed. He says here, for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. And this is what he says about that righteousness, quoting the book of Leviticus. He says, the man who does those things, speaking of the law, shall live by them. So your life is going to be based upon what? The way that you live, the righteousness that God calls you to. He's talking to them in Old Covenant terminology. He's saying in the Old Testament, if you lived according to God's righteousness, then that was how your life was going to be reflected. Here, Paul is speaking not just our natural life. He's talking about eternal life. So he goes on, and he says what? He says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say, in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach to you. And so Paul says what? There is one law of righteousness over here, but then there is the righteousness of faith. And that righteousness of faith comes by what? It comes by the word that the apostle has been preaching to everyone, everywhere that he goes, that there is a righteousness righteousness that comes by faith. Listen, this is important for us because everywhere that we go, we don't need to call people to live, to to try to earn their own righteousness. We need to call people to put their faith in the righteousness of Jesus. And the result will be, as we're going to see in a moment, is when someone puts their faith in the righteousness of Jesus, they are going to do what? They are going to become the righteousness of Christ. Are you here? They're going to start living for the glory of Jesus. The message of the gospel is that God came in his son and died in our place so that way he could offer us new life he could offer us righteousness and we in turn could receive that righteousness but also we could go share that righteousness we could share that message with this world. Again, it goes back to Paul's prayer. His prayer was that they would be saved. And so are we concerned about those who are out there? And do we realize that we have this same message? And so what is the apostle doing? The apostle is quoting some Old Testament stuff. The first thing he does, he talks about the law of righteousness. And what he says this is that if you keep the law, right, if your life depends on it, then guess what? You're gonna, that's what you're going to experience. But you know what he tells you? He tells you that if your life depended on you keeping the law for righteousness, you would fail. Hell you would fail because the laws consist of three. The law of God consists of three things. It consists of the moral law, which we know as the Ten Commandments, right? Then it goes on to the social law, which is all of the different laws that God had for the children of Israel in particular. And then there is the sacrificial or the ceremonial laws. And so what does is, what is all of that I do? Here's what it does. When you try to keep the Ten Commandments, you find out that you fall short miserably. When you try to keep the social laws, you know what you find out? You fall short miserably. And when you are going ahead and fail in those two things, you know what you have to do? Make a sacrifice. Hello. What was the sacrifice pointing to? It was pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to the sacrificial lamb that was going to come. He is the end of all of those sacrifices. He is the end of the law for righteousness for all who believe. And so he quotes here, he quotes from Leviticus, but then he goes on and he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30. And you can write this down and I know you'll go back and you'll check it out. But when he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, it is at the end of his lifetime with with the children of Israel, Moses speaking. At the end of his lifetime with Israel, Moses is getting ready to put um, Joshua as the new leader over the people. And you know what Moses does? Moses tells him this, he says, listen, in order for you to know what God wants from you, you don't have to do some impossible feat. You don't have to go and go, climb up to heaven. You don't have to do that to find out what God wants from you. You don't have to go across the sea and just notice this. When you go to Deuteronomy 30, you're going to see sea instead of abyss. The the abyss comes from the book of Psalms. But here's what he's trying to say here. What he's saying here, and he makes it clear to us, is that for them, God was saying, you want to know what my will is? All you got to do is listen to the word that you've been hearing. That's all you got to do. It's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your hearts. You've been hearing this. That's what he's telling them. What does he tell us? He tells us, listen, you don't have to go and bring Jesus down from heaven. Hello. You don't have to raise Jesus from the dead. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe the word that is being communicated. And if you will believe the word that's being communicated, then you know what? You're going to experience this blessing of salvation. You're going to experience this gift of salvation that comes. And so what does he go on to say in verse 9? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, and this is so important for us. He says this. This is the word that he has been preaching. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Oh, that should bring you like joy to your heart. If you believe, and so an acronym there is ABBA, A-B-B-A, accept, believe, believe, accept. Accept, believe, believe, accept. And so the first one he talks about is confession, that acceptance or that admittance. Admitting what? Admitting who God is. Confessing who God is. Believing in your heart. And then believing in your heart. And then you admit who God is. See, it's, it's not two different things. Some people try to separate the believing and the confessing. and, and You can't separate those because they don't, come, uh, they, they don't come apart. They are together. If you believe, you know what you're going to do. You're going to confess. And you're not going to confess unless you believe. But what does Paul say? Let's look at that for a moment. Because he says to them here, you got to remember, again, we're talking about Jewish people. And we're talking to Jewish people. And what would they have been saying? That word Lord there is the word "Kyrios" in the Greek. And it means Lord, but it's also the transliteration of the word God. And so what Paul is saying, if you confess in your mouth that Jesus, Yeshua, right, the one who was the Savior, his name means Jehovah saves. That's what it means there. What you're saying is that this Jesus is what? This Jesus is Lord. This Jesus is God. So now think about the Jewish person. The Jewish person is taught about one God. There's only one God, right? There's only one God. That's who we worship, one one true God. But when you confess as a Jewish person, you're going to have to, listen, there's something that's occurring because what you are saying is, yes, I am saying Jesus He's the same as God. I'm saying Jesus is the same as God. Now, listen, for us, I'm confessing this. Now, for us in our westernized culture, our confession for God, it goes like... so. I'm going to give you some examples of how we confess God typically, right? So one of the ways that we confess God sometimes in church is like, you know, hey, squeeze the person's hand beside you. You know, if you want to give your life to Jesus, that may be your confession. Maybe that's something that happened. Or maybe we get a little bit bolder and we say, hey, man, raise your hand if you want to accept the Lord, if you want to confess him as Lord. So that may happen as well. Or maybe you may walk down an aisle and and you come forward to an altar and you make a confession of faith. And those things are all good. But let me tell you something. It is, it is in mixed company that those things usually happen. And usually the only thing that is going to cost you, in most cases, not all, in most cases, the only thing that's going to cost you is a little bit of embarrassment. Are you here? You're like, if you got to walk through, like, if I ask you to come to the front to accept Jesus, that's a little embarrassing, right? But here's what I, I want you to think about in this context. Imagine you're sitting in a room and you are born into a Muslim family. Just think about this for a moment. You are born into a Muslim family. All of your family is around you. All of your community of Muslims is around you. And some guy comes up and he starts talking about Jesus, you know, that's, you know that, that this Jesus of the Bible. And he communicates that you need to put your faith in him. And then all of a sudden he says, would you like to confess him as Lord? And then you are sitting there and you feel everything in your heart. You know that you need to confess as Jesus. You know that he is Lord. And then all of a sudden you have a choice. You've got to raise your hand in front of all of your family. And what you are saying by raising your hand is, I deny everything that we have believed, and I now trust Jesus. That's what was going on here. That is a totally different scenario. See, because there are some people, and there are people that are in the church, that they have family that are Muslim. And you know what happens to them when they give their life to Christ? When they give their life to Christ and their family is really devout Muslim, you know what happens? They get cut off. They disown their children. Because they have put their faith in Jesus. Well, the same thing would happen to you if you were a Jew in, that, in, in, in the first century there. If you were a Jew in the first century and you were going ahead and saying, yes, Jesus is Lord. You were saying, hey, guys, I'm accepting this Savior as the one who was prophesied. I'm saying that you all are messed up. Are you here? It costs you something. See, making Jesus Lord is something that Paul connects directly to our belief. Because here's the thing. You cannot have salvation. Listen to me when I say this. You cannot have salvation without the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, I got a question whether you really believe in him. You know why? Because the Bible says that demons believe and they tremble. Hello. We as believers, we don't just tremble at the belief of who God is. We tremble, and we trust him, and we follow him, and we make him Lord. And now for the Greek that was sitting in that conversation, because remember, he's not only speaking to Jewish people, but for the Greek people there, you know what they believe? They believe in something called emperor worship. Hello. And what they did was the emperor, he was king. You know why Jesus got crucified, right? He got crucified because he made himself equal with God. But the way that they were able to get him like on the cross was because if you made yourself a king in that culture, guess what you were doing? You were rising up against the empire. You were saying, I'm a king. And there couldn't be no other king. It was, listen, it was either you or or the king that was the king at the time. And so what those Greeks would be saying as well is say, you know what? We're not bound to the emperor anymore. We're bound to Jesus. It costs them something. And so following Christ has to cost us something as well. There has to be lordship. And so the third thing, say this with me. Say, by faith, faith, righteousness righteousness. is accessible to all. By faith, righteousness is accessible to all. And this look, look at verse 11 and 12 in Paul, 11 through 13. The apostle wraps this up and he says this. He says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Two things the Apostle Paul does as we wrap up. He makes them crystal clear. Number one, God's plan of salvation extends to all nations, not just the Jews. And let me say this, it has always been God's plan that way. That's why he quotes all of these Old Testament scriptures, because he's letting them know this is not something new. This is something that the prophets have spoken about. This is something that has always been part of God's plan. Way back in the day when God spoke to Abraham and called him out, what did he tell him? He said, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing to all the nations of the world. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. In other words, Abraham, I want you to be my gospel proclaimer, my good news proclaimer unto the whole world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, proclaim the good news that there is a good God, that there is a real God that there is one God who is above every God who is a God over all the nations and he is rich and he is merciful if you will turn to him but if you rebel against him you will experience his wrath that is the good news is that God is gracious always it's always been that message That is the same message that we proclaim and we carry. And Jesus comes on the scene and he declares that. And so what we see throughout the Old Testament is what? We see God. He is is extending mercy. And how do we see this? Well, let's think about this because some of you are there thinking like, well, when did God show mercy to anybody except the Jewish people? Well, you remember a guy by the name of Jonah? You remember him? Well, he's a good example of that, right? He goes out there and he is going to go preach to Nineveh. You 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 know what Nineveh was not? Nineveh was not Jewish. Hello, somebody. Nineveh was a bunch of pagans Jonah was like I don't want to I'll go preach to my people I don't want to go preach to these pagans and God said I want to share my gospel I want to share my mercy that's what God does he shows them mercy even as you look as you look throughout Israel's history even way in the beginning kings that were not in alignment with God God showed them mercy as well in Abraham's life God shows mercy to different kings that Abraham dealt with so what we have to understand is what is that God is extending mercy to all people he's including everyone in this offer of salvation he's including everyone in this opportunity everyone right here Israel you need Jesus the world you need Jesus guess what Jesus came for all of you that's the beauty of this and this is what the Apostle Paul communicates the second thing that Paul makes clear is what is that anyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord for salvation will not be put to shame but has a firm foundation of faith that's a beautiful thing And if you call on the name of the Lord, God's not going to put you to shame. God's not going to leave you by yourself. God's not going to leave you to your own. God's not going to leave you to figure this out on your own. God is going to do what? God is going to be with you. He is going to strengthen you. He's the one that keeps you. I just want to say this really quickly, really important for those of you that are taking notes. Belief or saving faith includes three elements. When we talk about belief, this is very important for you. It includes three things. Number one, it includes your mind. The second thing it includes is your emotions. And the third thing it includes is your volition or your will. And so the first thing you have to understand is that if you or I are going to have saving faith, there has to be understanding in your mind. You have to understand the gospel. You have to understand what it is. You may not understand it perfectly and completely in the beginning. I can tell you when I first came to faith in Jesus, I didn't understand every single minute detail of the gospel. But I understood the main premise, which was what? I was a sinner, I needed a savior, and Jesus was a solution. Are you here? I understood that. There was no question about that. I got that right. And I also knew this. This is something else that I knew for sure, is that I could not continue in the life that I was living. I knew that. I knew that for certain, that I couldn't continue living I wanted. There had to be a change of life. And then the next thing is my emotion. Well, there has to be emotion involved in my faith in Christ. I have to accept the facts of the scripture, but there should be sorrow over my sin, and there should be joy in the grace and mercy that God gives me. See, there's emotion that's connected. It's not just a mental assent to things, but there has to be something that goes on inside of me. I remember the day, I remember that evening when I got saved. I was there. There was emotion that was taking place. There was an understanding of what is it. I needed Jesus and that Jesus was there for me are you here there has to be the emotion and then there is the volition or your will And what happens here is that you or I, we submit our will to God. Nobody forces us. Nobody comes and in those times puts a gun to your head or a sword to your throat and says, confess the Lord, and then you're going to be saved. No, 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 that's not how that happens. It's not a fake confession, not a forced confession. It is something that comes from your will that you submit to Christ. And so here is the closing question, which is the most important question of all. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the grave? Do you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the grave? See, some of you are in here like, yes, I do. Praise the Lord. I'm glad you do. But there are some in here that you do not believe that. You don't believe. You're you're not 100% sure. There's people that are watching or listening to us. They don't believe that. They're not 100% sure. And so for you, I say, you need to go and check the facts. You need to find out what the Bible teaches and find out what other sources teach about the resurrected Jesus. Because if Jesus is risen, Jesus must be Lord. He must be Lord and so if you're in here and you say yeah I believe Jesus rose but he's not Lord you better check yourself because it doesn't look good for you because if I say oh yeah I believe this but he's not Lord in my life I need to repent of my sin I need to call upon him I need to ask him for forgiveness let's all stand up you let's bow our heads father we humble our hearts before you today And we pray, God, in the name that is above every name for your mercy in the lives of every person in this place, of every person that may be listening to us online. God, that you would have mercy upon them, that you would turn them from their sin to you, this great Savior. That you would grant them repentant heart, that you would show them, Lord, your love and how merciful you've been to them. Father, for those that are in here that have not put their trust in you, God, draw their hearts to you. May conversations happen, Lord God. May may they feel the weight of the conviction of the sin in their lives. And may they also feel the magnitude and the awe of your love for them, God. And Father, for us that have trusted you, for us that believe that you have risen and that have made you Lord of our lives, God, help us to be faithful conduits to share this gospel with the world around us that desperately, desperately needs it. God, we thank you today, and we pray all of these things in the good name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.